Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. They tried to colonize us, tried to genocide us, yet we're still here with the tongue unbroken. Gaud kaud echit de wet de kat yuhan, wasach tu yeke yake tiegen chish, tlech wuduk uti kotlut ayayata. The time has come, I'm so thankful that you are here. Gunl chish for listening, this is the tongue unbroken. Dauguna awe. Yahashkatnik itin, Dakun ah, Wegao, Shahit, Kaji yena teach, A joe at Achtashi, Ekawu susu aya yukatangitin, Kayejini. In our stories, it's the fourth time that good fortune comes into people's hands, possessions, and so my hope is that whatever you're doing, whatever you're working on with your language, that good things are coming to you consistently now and forever things just get better better stronger stronger so we are fortunate on this episode to be joined by ray taken alive lakota language teacher learner advocate and we're going to talk about a series of things Uh, i'll pop in now and then to do the commercial breaks Uh, But we're going to start by talking about who he is, what he's been up to, what's going on with their language there. And then we're going to talk about what we feel language learners need in terms of how people learn, how to create safe environments, uh, what to do about language learning techniques and how to incorporate them, what we might call methodologies. And then we're going to talk a little bit about data sovereignty and what that means for indigenous communities when non-indigenous folks come in and make contributions. But then sometimes things get a little weird in terms of data ownership, rights to access, becoming experts, making fun of indigenous peoples who are just trying to do good things, being hurtful with their words, all kinds of stuff that echoes coloniality, in just weird ways that aren't as simple as straight racism, 
but are certainly parts of systemic racism. So, I'm glad you're here. Buckle up. We're going to have some fun. We're going to keep this thing going. Get in touch. You can find us on social media. You can find us uh, through our website. I, I know I got to update a bunch of stuff. I'll be working on that. Uh, but we're cruising along. And I'm hoping that more folks are going to join us, jump into some of these conversations. If you got questions, you got things you want us to be talking about, uh, this is not just something that's for entertainment, but we're hoping it's a resource for you to keep going, to find inspiration, to get on here, share things with us. We want to hear your ideas. We want to hear what you're doing, talking about, that ways you found success, and ways that you might need to call out and ask for some help. So we're going to be making some suggestions in this episode as well. And maybe we'll end it with a couple jokes. Gonna cheesh. Yeah, do ah. Habuchin you atut atki. Gonna cheesh a witch to cut you hon. Hakati sa ahi. Yayagi. Atak the shea kunachik aya e kusti kayajne. Yakayak to us a good to hating sa ahi. Yayadat gonna cheesh. Uh, we are here with Ray Taken Alive, and uh, I'm very excited for this conversation. I'm excited for us to uh, talk about what's going on in your neck of the woods and also talk about data sovereignty today and also building sustainable language movements. So uh, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh yeah, so just wanted to introduce myself. Uh, my name is Ray Taken Live. I'm from here on Standing Rock. I have, uh, I am, uh, I'm a Lakota language teacher. I am Lakota. Uh, so yeah, a little bit of a introduction. It was cheesh. Uh, yeah, I went to college at the University of Minnesota in Minneapolis and met quite a few folks who are Lakota and Dakota and Dakota. Uh, wonderful. Really enjoyed uh, seeing your folks' country down there. Could you talk a little bit about your current work in uh, in your language? First of all, man, you have those gutturals down. When, <laughs> when you're saying Lakota, Dakota, you're getting that, that guttural down. I love it, man. Um, but yeah, so... Uh, what I do now is I work at our local uh, public school, which has its own problems. I mean, it has its own um, obstacles, different things. But I am the Lakota Language, Culture, and Community Coordinator. I really have to stop and think, and like, what is <laughs> what is my job title? But Lakota Language, Cultural, and Community Coordinator. Um, what I do here is I one of my jobs is to create and kind of um, maintain a, a database of our language resources, our cultural resources, different things like that, and then help teachers uh, integrate our culture into the into their classrooms um, and then work with the local boards like the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe Education Department, our, jail, our Johnson O'Malley Committee, uh, different things like that. And so I, um, me and... My daughter, we were at the our Lakota language immersion nest, which is about thirty miles from where I work now at the Sitting Bull College. Um, and I was a 
I was a part-time teacher there in the nest. I was able and lucky to take part in a year-long program, kind of a master apprentice kind of style. Uh, we got to learn the language four hours a day. And then the other half of the day, I worked for either the tribe or the immersion nest. And uh, my daughter was in the immersion nest for two years. So we were really blessed with that experience. Um, and so now we do the best we can at home to try to, you know, uh, speak our language, listen to our language, uh, whatever we can do. That's fabulous. Yeah, I have uh, three kids, uh, daughter, daughter, son, and we, we've raised them in, in our language. And so we decided, I guess, I kind of had these two friends when I was in Fairbanks going to college there. And one, she was British, and then she would... Uh, I really like the way she would say things with a British accent. She'd say like "lance," and um, and it's really cool. <laughs> when she talked to her kids, I, I know she was speaking French, and so I don't speak French, but I thought I could recognize it. And I said, "Well, why are you speaking mm -hmm. French?" And she said, "Well, that's how I keep the memory of my mother alive. She was French, and we only spoke French to each other." Wow. And and then at the same time, I had a friend who was from Uruguay, and she was doing that with Spanish with her son, and then. We started, my wife and I, my wife Mariah, we started talking. We said, hey, when we have a kid, we could do this with, with Lenget. And so we tried it and it really, it helped like me as a speaker. And then they can understand the language. All, all three of my kids can, wow. which is great because kids, you know, weren't really being raised in our language. And as you start to do that again, you realize a bunch of stuff that, you know, people are kind of forgetting how to say, like we had these elders together and we said, how do you say change a diaper and and it took a a long time for them to come up with it and one of them kind of started crying and saying she was feeling bad that she couldn't help us but then she was kind of remembering going to a boarding school and stuff so like thinking of your work and and your kids growing up with a language uh what would you say what's the state of the language right now how are things going so like many of our indigenous languages that have been attacked that have been targeted that have been um that they've tried to erase we're dealing with the effects of that those co colonizing efforts you know um we have a, we have speakers we have we actually we're, we're lucky we have a lot of speakers but we are trying to kind of kickstart uh restart i should say the intergenerational transmission of our language um because which which is happening you know which is really really exciting these talks, these language talks, you know, for too many years um, are the kind of like doom and gloom narratives and uh, the trauma narratives, you know. And so what kind of really opened my eyes up to this was uh, um, a research article and also uh, Dr. Wesley Leonard's work, but um, how these trauma narratives get, get spun, how they get used to create fear and then to create dependency, you know. So endangered um extinct different language uh different way they try to you know um, describe our languages and so dr leonard of the miamia he, he calls those the e-words and so the way our elders view it you know i've heard an elder say that our language isn't dying or nothing it's buried and we could just go and dig that back up and we shouldn't you know, we shouldn't be focusing on, oh my gosh, we're losing our language or whatever, but celebrate that we still have it. 
you know, and our language isn't going to go anywhere. I heard another speaker say that our language is a spirit, you know, and you can't kill a spirit. And so um, another another indigenous person talking about their language was that their 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 teachers had told them that the, the land still speaks the language, the animals can still speak the indigenous languages. So we don't need to walk in fear. So I just kind of want to preface that because a lot of these language talks previously, even I've given <laughs> some of them, it's like, you know, you, you go through all of that, you know, this and that, but the elders have really kind of like changed my mind and like celebrate it. We still, we still have it and we still have speakers and we still have people fighting for it. And we still have people fighting to reclaim it in their daily lives. And now we have children again who can under, understand the language who can pray in the language who can sing the the song that needs to be sung at the time it needs to be sung you know without without that shame or without that fear and so that's what's really um that's what's kind of really been beautiful and exciting and so after we kind of turn away from a lot of these trauma narratives this is kind of violent rhetoric that surrounds our indigenous languages um because my whole thing is, is if someone tries to scare you, then what are they going to sell you after that? You know, I just, well, I'm sure we'll get into it, but it's, it's kind of a, my experiences. I have a, I, I would say a healthy distrust of different things, but <laughs> like, um, so, to put it mildly, right? but like, so that's kind of, so I just kind of, that's kind of, I guess that's my answer. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's fabulous because I think colonization really tries to get you to buy into this thing that everything's already done and it's over and you know mm -hmm. uh like we sometimes i hear people say gee i wish we could have done something different and, and it's sort of like saying you know i think i i really agree that the message right now should be like oh this is all happening mm -hmm. this this is what's happening now is this reclamation yeah and that decolonization is it's going to become this it's this inevitable thing uh, because our languages are coming back, our people are coming back to them. And we had an elder as well who, his name is Randall Tetlichi. He's a Gwich'in elder from, I listen to White Horse now, but he's from Old Crow. And he came to visit our campus and he sat in on one of our language classes and he just started talking to us. He said, well, you guys probably feel like you're losing a lot of elders right now. And you probably feel like all their wisdom is going with them. But what happens is it goes back in the land and you go out on the land and you speak your language and it comes back to you in your dreams. Wow. And, and so like, I love that. Like, I love the, the beauty of these, these concepts, you know, these other things that, that really, I think will inspire our people, you know, and it's always, for me, it's always a bit of a balancing act to inspire and also say, but don't forget to work hard and change your whole life. <laughs> you know? yeah. I was like, oh yeah, if you don't speak now, you totally can. You just got to change your life and change everything around you. But, <laughs> but what you're doing is you're setting a place at the table for your ancestors. You know, it's like, think about like every time you sit down to eat, you're also going to set a place for them. And then you're going to set a place for your future generations. But that does require this shift but it's a shift that can happen like there's this conscious part where you shift your life and then there's this other part that's kind of already there you know and so the other thing i've been checking out your videos and your approach to language learning and so like how what i guess 
my question for you is how do people learn and what kind of tools can we give them? So at the, so I really went into a deep dive of studying second language acquisition. Um, I was reading a lot. I was getting into the research because I was really curious about how does this thing happen, you know? And so what, what at the bottom line of all of it, the way I see it, all the amazing methods out there, all the not so amazing methods uh, at the bottom line, it's just understanding what we're hearing and then interacting with that over time. And that's the, that's the basic. So if it's, you know, TPRS, TPR, story listening, task-based language learning, if it's, you know, where are your keys? If it's all these methods at the bottom line of it, that's what it is to me is understanding what we're listening to and interacting it, interacting with it over amount of time. And then underneath that, it's like, if we could make it as interesting as we can, we are going to want to interact more with that material, with the language. If we can make it interesting and offer a great deal of repetition um, so that the learners can hear some of the words over and over, different things like that. Uh, so that's kind of the, the baseline of where I'm at as far as like kind of, I guess, teaching and how can we help others. Um, and one thing that i love to incorporate is the plains indian sign language so my uncle lanny Realbird, he's he's crow and we come to find out that we're related um, um i think distantly but we're related my mother is from the fort berthel she's a mandan hidatsa arikara and uh uncle lanny has a lot of the same relatives we're like hey we're relatives and so we anyway he has been pushing to revitalize the plains indian sign language and I just, I love that because um, what is communication? Is it just words? Is it just talking and listening? What is, how can we communicate? How did we communicate in the past? You know, we communicated through rock art. We communicated through messages, um, through blankets we left for people at a certain crossing and folding one side of that blanket, one corner of that blanket. That was communication. We communicated with our hands, you know, um, here in Lakota country, we call it hand talk, but the Plains Indian Sign Language. And so I love that because we're revitalizing our language while revitalizing Plains Indian Sign Language. And uh, we have stories here in Lakota country about, you know, these two elders that knew hand talk and they were in a meeting and this whole meeting was going on. And these two elders are, are having a conversation in Plains Indian Sign Language in hand talk. And then they, uh, every now and then they would just start laughing and they were having just a, a ball of a time while this meeting was going on. And I, that was very inspiring. But what the hand talk does t is... Our language reclamation, our language revitalization, the way I see it anyway, is like um, needs to be open for everyone, you know. And so with the hand talk, um, it's 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 another thing that we can that helps us to understand. It's it's visual, you know, for those who have a tough time hearing, you know, it's 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 part of our whole decolonization process it's part of our reclamation process and so right now as far as teaching i love to teach with plains indian sign language or hand talk with um you know with language and so 
and just trying to make it repetitious, trying to make it fun, trying to make it engaging, interesting. And then the big, and then another big part is stories. Traditionally, as Lakota people, we used to pass on our ways of life, our teachings um, through story. And so if someone maybe did something they weren't supposed to be doing, um, they wouldn't hit them. They wouldn't holler at them. They would tell, possibly tell them a story, you know, that embedded values, that embedded the Wolakota, you know, the way of life, the way of thinking of a Lakota person. And so that's, so there's, there are different methods to touch on all this stuff, you know, um, comprehensible input methods. I'm, I like where are your keys. I like story listening by Dr. Benico Mason and Dr. Crash. And I like Dr. Van Patten's stuff on, um, task, task based language teaching. I like Blaine Ray stuff with, um, teaching proficiency through reading and storytelling, all that stuff, you know, it's all good stuff. Um, and for teachers out there, you know, find what works for you and do it, you know, because I think the underlying thing of all of it, of teaching and learning is that it is enjoyable because if it's not enjoyable, we're not going to last long in either of them, teaching or learning. So find a system that works, whatever it is, and just do that over and over. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite moments is when a learner is able to get the jokes because there's a lot of jokes that just go on and, and as you sort of come in especially things that are sort of like culturally relevant like this the jokes mm -hmm. that our uncles would tell us and our aunties would tell us you know uh and and so i i agree with everything you're saying like i think all these different methodologies that are being developed and have been developed are so valuable for us and just like take those things and put them in your toolbox and then figure out what kinds of things work for what particular moments and also for the learning environments that you're creating. So some of the approaches that I like to focus on is creating really safe learning environments where we can laugh, yeah. but we're not going to laugh at anybody mm -hmm. and where we can sort of let's share what happened, but let's not say who said it. If in, just in case we might embarrass somebody, if they say, Mm -hmm. You know, for us, cloud and vagina are just one tiny sound apart. And so we've had lots of people who have mm -hmm. made that mistake, which is, it's fun in the moment, but then we just want to make sure that everybody's feeling pretty safe with just using, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I think I, it comes back to this being familiar. Like when you hear something, how likely are you to understand it? And when you want to say something, how likely are you to be able to say it? And then for us... We, we have a lot of conversations around accuracy and mistakes because I think for a lot of our, some of our older generations, when they see adults learning, they kind of expect those adults to just be able to speak like adults. And so we have to sort of say, okay, well, it's going to be kind of messy for a little while, which is totally okay as part of the process uh, because sometimes we've heard things like, if you can't say it right, don't say it at all. And we try to push back on that a little bit and say, well, we can get there, but you have to create these, you know, because you have to look at an adult and without being condescending, say, we're going to, you'll be born again in the language, which sounds beautiful, but that means you'll be a little baby mm -hmm. in a big old body with a, with a big old English brain that wants to take over all the time. But that also means people are going to have to give you the grace to to get it wrong and it'll be okay because we could fix it we could fix it later mm -hmm. if we just keep talking if we just keep listening and don't break out to have these big explanations in 
English, which I do sometimes. Uh, but yeah, I think a lot of these methods are, are fabulous. Uh, I have seen a couple of sort of presentations where folks have kind of hinted at like, if you don't use this method, it's not going to work. And so I get a little bit nervous <laughs> about that stuff. Yeah. I'm like, you don't have the magic one and only key, but exactly. you have something that we can use. So if you're out there doing this work, like find things that work for you and adapt them into your culture. Try not to translate your culture too much to fit the things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just use everything uh, that you can. Oh, oh, oh. Time for advertisements. We'll be right back. Gonna cheesh. What's happening, baby? This colonization shit got you down. You gotta get on this decolonization groove. Yeah. It's time for language revitalization all across North America. The land of the language coming back into the hands of future generations where it all belongs. Rise up and have your voices be heard. Defeat all the colonial forces that try to hold you down. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. 
Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Yeah, so like I that's the other thing I think that um we started discussing was putting emotion first in our language re- revitalization and our language reclamation because on day 1 a learner might sit in a class and like hey, let's start going over how to greet somebody. But the but with us indigenous people who went through a lot of trauma especially trauma around our language where it was, you know, beaten out of us, where we couldn't speak it, where like my, like my grandparents, they didn't teach it to my, my dad's generation because they didn't want them to go through the hardships. You know, they want, they were doing it out of love. They wanted to make it easier on them to try to, you know, um, fit into the world, I guess, you know? And so what, so when we sit down for day one, you know, how do we approach that classroom? How do we approach that learner? How do we make safe places for them? You know, do we just jump in and start going over conjugation tables and patterns and and different things like that? You know, but whereas like me, when I sat down, I had so much emotions going on, highs, but also a lot of lows, shame. Why don't I know this already? I don't know my language. I don't, I should know this already, that, that kind of stuff you know, that thought and man, and you have shame. And then you also like feel so good that you can understand a little bit when you start to understand and make a a few sounds, you feel so good. One of the first day, uh, one of the first couple weeks of language learning, I walked out of a language class and it was at the college here, City Blue College. um, And I had a really great teacher, but I, I walked out of that class and I just broke down and I just cried like sobbing and it was a good cry and i didn't know why or where that came from it felt so good to just be able to introduce myself in our language and so what is that you could say it's healing from historical traumas or or, you know putting the the hoop back together within myself or whatever but i i always say i really don't know what that was so when learners are sitting down we don't know what we're going what they're going through like uh, we have a lot of uh the stories are a lot of the same you know like um we have a lot of learners who we call silent speakers who know the language they understand it but because of the traumas that they went through um through boarding schools and all of that stuff you know they don't feel comfortable speaking it you know and different things like that and so it's it's how do we do that and i it's what's beautiful too though is in our indigenous cultures we have those ceremonies how to deal with things like that we have you know different things that can help with with that so it's 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 i I, I don't want to say this but you know it's tough for a non-lakota person to sit down with a group of beginners and try to sort through all of that if they've never experienced all of that you know and so uh, also you know, one thing that really freed me back to that thing of accuracy and mistakes is Dr. Bill Van Patten said, 
there are no such things as mistakes in language learning. And I thought that was amazing. He said, yeah, the learner may be saying something that's non-native like, but to them, it's not a mistake. That's where their internal system is. And we have no power over their internal system and how quick or how slow they learn the language. And so I always use the, um, my, my granddaughter, uh, she's, she just had a birthday. She, um, she turned four, but my granddaughter, um, she used to say funny bingo for flamingo. <laughs> you know, she would look at a flamingo and she'd say, Oh, funny bingo. And, you know, she's at that stage where she's starting to make sounds. Um, she's talking now, but she's at, she was at that stage where she was starting to make sounds. She was starting to play with the sounds in the language, experiment and explore. And she's at that, that, that babyla stage, that baby stage, you know? And so that's how we are as learners too. We need those safe places to make those mistakes. And so I always say that, and sometimes it gets taken wrong. Like, Oh, well, this guy doesn't, give a damn about being correct and we're making a whole new language it's like no i'm not saying that at all what i'm saying is we'll get there but we need this freedom right now like exactly like you said we need this grace you know and when my when my granddaughter said it you know and she says hi pack for ipad you know mm. and, and that stuff is cute you know and we and we love it and when she when she was through her when she was going through her phase of saying funny bingo we'd say say it again what is that honey you know funny bingo and we'd laugh but it was a good laugh it wasn't like you know we didn't say no 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 that's wrong repeat after me you know because that you know because that's not how it would have made her feel comfortable and i think we understood that she's just learning and she's just going the process of acquiring a language and so I, I love what you said about grace, you know, as beginner learners. Well, I remember my, when I just first started, it was all these emotions with not wanting to mess up, you know, and different things, but learners need that grace. And we need to give ourselves that grace too, that we're not, we're not perfect and we don't need to be perfect, you know? And so I just, that's kind of what I always think of whenever, you know, because I, I see it a lot and it's really important to our elders. And I'm not saying it's not important that our pronunciation isn't good and isn't correct but that's something that we're going to figure out more as we get into the intermediate and more into the advanced levels you know that's just my thought yeah absolutely because if if they can just keep talking they'll they'll do a lot of self-correction like we also try to create these environments where we're like we're not going to correct anybody just keep going mm -hmm. uh because and i think it's hard for some of us to move away from that because we feel like we're going to ruin it and we feel like we're going to change it to this thing that's no longer what it was, which is, which is tough. And so this, this Chamorro friend of mine, his name is Tindak Pangi. He once said, uh, I speak my grandmother's language, but I don't speak like my grandmother. And I thought that was really interesting, you know, because hmm. I, I aspire to speak like, like a lot of people that I learn from. And there's certain moments where like, okay, if I'm telling a story, if I'm doing a ceremonial speech, there's certain ways that I have to do that. But I think there was also this whole other realm of just very casual language use with lots of teasing and laughing and storytelling and you know, commands and, and do this, don't do that, a whole bunch of stuff that that was taken from us. And so as we rebuild these realms, we sometimes had to figure out, well, what is that thing and if we're not sure, we have to reconstruct it in some ways. And so another one of my teachers, uh, Dr. William Wilson, who I call Pila, he said, 
we're going to be learning an artificial form of Hawaiian. And you just have to be okay with that. And it's going to naturalize over time. But you learn this, you're going to sound kind of like a robot. And we had an elder that we recently lost. His name was Kingisti David Katsik. And he'd come into our classes quite a bit. And one time we're doing dialogue exercises. And when you're nervous, you know, you're just nervous. And so students are, you know, they're saying things without too much emotion. You know, and so mm-hmm. he gets up in front of everybody and he starts encouraging them, but also just sort of getting super emotional himself and saying, you are not a robot. You are a human being, you know? And so, and then we end up having a, uh, a bad acting contest and, and the students had these other ideas on how to just loosen things up and just go for it. And it was very fun and super over the top, but it, it kind of loosened them up a lot because we, we, we said, we're, we'll get you ready for these language use environments where you kind of got to have it together and you got to, you know, if you got to speak at a funeral, if you got to speak at a, one of our ceremonies, but we say, we'll build you up to that right now. Just do the easy stuff. And then just sort of focus on continuing to build your confidence and your ability and to encourage people and to create these safe places that where our languages are used. Because for us, our language doesn't exist in too many spaces. So we're also trying to take those spaces back, whether we're just sort of saying, well, let's put the language on the walls at least. And then the next step is let's go there and speak the language. And so it's really exciting to be part of that. And another thing that may not be as exciting, but I think is important, is this conversation around data sovereignty, which I think is something that comes up based on folks who come in and and do work in our communities. And I think there's a lot of people who come in and do wonderful stuff. And you talked a little bit as well about what's the role of non-Indigenous peoples. And we're in some of those conversations all the time, because for me, uh, if people live here, I want them to learn our language. I want them to, so that when they're around us, they can understand it. And if they want to, they can speak it. And it becomes a language of the land and of the place. And I know not everybody feels the same. There are some communities who say, like, if you're not one of us, like, you don't get to learn our language. And that's their decision. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the things that gets complicated is when someone comes in who's not uh, indigenous to the language they're not a descendant of the language and they do work in the language. And then they turn around and tell someone who is indigenous that they can't ex- access it or they can't do stuff with it, or they have to yep. uh, get permission or they get uh, humiliated or made fun of for the stuff that they're trying to do mm-hmm. when the non-indigenous person becomes the expert. And then, you know, so like these race relations and power relations come into play in some of these situations. Yeah, so that's that's kind of what we've been dealing with, or I guess in the last couple years, I've just been going on a long time, but this really got um, this really became. I guess I ran into this face first the, within the last couple of years. My grandmother died from COVID, August twenty twenty, um, and she was a big part of our our language work up here on Standing Rock um, at the college at the with the tribal program different things like that and she was she was my person you know i would call her ask her about a translation she would always give it pick her up take her out to dinner you know 
every time we get in the car, I'd turn my recorder on. And when she wanted to gossip or say something, she'd always look at me and say, Takoja, is that thing on? So I knew that it was time to turn it <laughs> off. <laughs> and then she would just want to vent. And um, sometimes, you know, she would just, she would just vent in Lakota and she just wanted to speak her language. And at times she knew I couldn't understand her, but she would just go and go and go, you know, because it was, um, it was a place for her to speak. So she, she passed away and, uh, she had worked with the Lakota language consortium who the linguistic director, his name is Jan Ulrich. Um, he's in a documentary called if only I were native American or becoming Indian in the Czech Republic. Oh my. Um, he's, He's wearing, uh, he has feathers, wearing buckskin. He's uh, live action role playing, being an indigenous person, carrying a chinupa, one of our sacred pipes. Um, and they take sweat lodge in there, one of our sacred ceremonies. He's singing this, a buffalo dance song, uh, different things like that. And so um, he is their linguistic director for the Lakota Language Consortium, as well as Wilhelm Maya, who is from Austria. He lives in Indiana, Bloomington, Indiana, by way of Austria. Um, and so these two individuals, they started the Lakota language consortium. Um, and my grandmother had worked for this organization. What they did was they got our data from Indiana university and Colorado university. So right there is one thing. So we have non, non Lakota people asking non Lakota institutions if they can use our data. So Colorado and Indiana throughout the 60s, 70s, 80s, whatever it was, 40s, even way back with uh, the Deloria and Boas stuff. Um, but what, what they did was they would send their researchers out, uh, Raymond Damali, Douglas Parks from Indiana, and Guy Taylor and uh, Douglas Rude, I think his name was, from Colorado. They would go to our res. Um, I'm not sure what their intentions are. Maybe they were they had good intentions. Maybe they just wanted to help different things. But what they did was they they recorded a lot. They made books, they translated different things. Um, now, I, in my current state, I see that as, ex as extraction. Mm -hmm. And so they extracted a lot of our language. They set these up at college databases. Um, at times they were behind paywalls, but Colorado to their credit and Indiana to their credit, they're trying to rectify these situations. And so, but anyway, the Lakota Language Consortium, they got the data from these individuals, our language data. And so I'm going to preface all that with, so I asked Jan Ulrich for my grandmother's recordings and what he said was that they needed a grant to give it back and that they do high quality work. What I didn't understand at that time was how they viewed our data very paternalistically right. um, and that they're going to control how my own grandmother's recordings and how our Standing Rock recordings are going to be given back to us, you know? And so um, what, so I didn't feel comfortable with that. I was really awakened to some in that moment what is going on you know eventually he did give recordings to he gave some recordings to my my uncle of our grandmother but um we lost control of her recordings and we still don't have control of her recordings so um that's there's two things going on so right now standing rock is trying to negotiate or the llc is trying to negotiate with standing rock to give our stuff back but they want to give back um, the copyrights to this stuff, but hold on to the, to the licensing and authorities. The problem with that is, is if they hold on to the licensing and authorities, then we lose control. So I would tell them to, to, to put, take down my grandmother's recordings. You guys don't have permission, different things like that. They would erase my comments or they would hide my comments. And then um, 
they wouldn't take them down. And so if we lose the control, if, if they continue to have the authorities and licensing, we lose control and I can't get those recordings taken down. Uh-huh. So wh- how are they, what is their legal standing? How do they have stand, standing of any, any kind? Because what happened was um, throughout this extraction process, did all these linguists, did um, Crazy Buffalo, Jan Ulrich, did Wilhelm Maya, did they go through our institutional review process at Sitting Bull College? What were the waivers like? Can they produce the waivers for when they came through our reservations and our nations? Um, they continually say that they're nonprofit. Well, if they're a nonprofit institution, they have to follow these different things, if these academic kind of things that they needed to go through, and then they didn't. And so... The other thing, there's another conversation here that goes beyond, um, you know, kind of our language is that nonprofits and how nonprofits often exploit and extract our people. And so um, nonprofits are a little scary to me because they can get two sources of income from what I've seen is that they can they can still get the, the government grants because they're nonprofit 5013C and they can apply for grants and get grants, but then they can also have bookstores and they can also sell stuff. So what's the difference to me? You know, so what's the difference if you can do both? That's so but but there's a whole discussion there too that's you know, um that's another discussion that involves data sovereignty and how our likenesses, how our histories, how our statistics, how our our intellectual property, how our our photos, <coughs> all these different things, how they're used by entities to get themselves funds, you know, um, all this poverty stuff and how they, how they use that to get funds and different things. And so, um, but within what I was going through was this data sovereignty fight with the language with my grandmother. And so... We're still involved. We're still going through it. What what ended up happening, though, is um, our tribe banned them on May 3rd through the Badman Clause of the Fort Laramie Treaty, 1868, Article 1, and that if anyone kind of um, doesn't do right by Alakota people, we have that power within our Constitution to ban these individuals. We ban these individuals um, and on May 3rd, and so that's important because after all of this, despite everything, on January or June 9th, June 9th, they were still selling the recording that my grandmother did, wow. End of the World Story, on the, the Language Conservancy website, as well as the Lakota Language Consortium website. And so my wife always says this. She says, say this, let people know that you didn't start out to be this. So in the beginning, I was kind of learning from their products. Um, the teachers I learned from were were taught by them it was kind of their narratives and traditions and different things and so um i used to defend them on the internet and by simply asking for my grandmother's recordings i didn't know that i would go on this this total kind of roller coaster for two years um but now in reflection i'm very very grateful for it because when we think about data sovereignty think about um what happens to a story so if we sit back and, and trace a story from, from what happens to it. So, you know, our people have carried these stories for, for generations, thousands and thousands of years. You know, they carry these stories forward to the next generation. The next generation learns them. Okay. And we get to modern times and our people want to want to help and they want to give on that story. An anthropologist, a linguist comes, plops down a waiver in front of them. What does that waiver say? Maybe they don't do a waiver. And, but they record that story. 
All right. But um, so what happens to that story from that point is we may lose control of that story. And a story that was ours and is ours belongs to our children, belongs to us. It could get exploited. It could get profited off of. It could end up in an academic journal. It could end up in somebody's, um, you know, lecture. So somebody's career could be built. Someone's, you know, um, all these kind of things. And so with that story, then if that's a sacred story, we, we have different protocols around stories. Some protocols you, or some stories you can only tell in the winter time. Some you can only tell at night. Um, there's certain stories for different times. Some you can't. You're not supposed to record some you can only, you know, share when one of our Chinupas is filled and different things. But what happened with the Lakota Language Consortium in their waiver, they said that they have unrestricted right to copyright now and in all future formats. Meaning if our elders sat down and they just want to help. A lot of times I've, I've sat down with elders in the past and put waivers in front of them and they just sign it. They don't even look at it. They're like, yeah, I just want to help. Mm-hmm. An elder does that, and then they share this story, and that story is lost, you know, at least in my experience, because we're still trying to get the stuff back from my grandmother, you know, and so what we're talking about is, and then those stories, what happens to those stories is that intellectual property could be copyrighted by outside individuals, and then it could be controlled by non-Lakota people. These stories that are our birthright, that our ancestor of our ancestors that were passed down, we have to ask if we can use them, if we can teach them in class, if we can learn, if we can, you know, whatever. And what happened to me was I run this Lakota, me and my uh, Misu Dallas Nelson, uh, who is a Thunder Valley Language Initiative director, um, we run this language reclamation group on facebook and what i said was i discovered this copyright and it says you have to ask this and just what the copyrights say and i said why do i have to ask outside entity if i can use my own language you know and so i i said well i'm going to test this and what i did was i got the lakota language consortium grammar book which was subsidized by tribes which was subsidized by national or by grants by federal grants and different things like that and so how can how can non-lakota people with subsidized funds copyright lakota people's language so this is what the question i was i had and so i was like well i'm going to open source this i'm gonna share the the lessons from this book this lakota language grammar book which was subsidized by the cheyenne river sioux tribe i'm going to share this book and i'm going to see what happens and then on january 6 2021 what i did was i shared this book i shared this lesson on memorize on uh, the language learning app which is just you know many of the language people who listening to this probably know what memorize is Um, but i shared that i made a lesson on memorize and what happened was on January 6th, I got a copyright infringement from the Lakota Language Consortium. And they and Memorize said that the rightful owner of this copyright has requested that you take down this, this lesson. And so within 48 hours, that lesson was taken down. So this is a Lakota Language Learning Group. I am a teacher. This is in the field of education, which says that we're supposed to have a lot of latitude when it comes to education right. and the copyrights and the intellectual property and different things. And I'm a Lakota person, right? And so that was a big wake-up call of, you know, all of this stuff is how did we as a people lose control of our language? 
you know, and what is the setup for the future of our children? How much are they going to have to pay to see this stuff, to use this stuff? You know, they're going to have to buy their own language back, but it's their right. And so I think part of this data sovereignty is us and our generation making sure that their rights are honored, their language right is honored, and that they don't have to buy it back. They don't have to go through a um, some linguist, you know, that they don't have to go through a college database, different things like that. Um, they've tried to backtrack about this. Uh, one of their board members lied on Native America Calling about this, um, said that it, this didn't exist, it didn't happen. And they made the point that their copyright gives access, <laughs> which I don't, I don't know how that's possible. But so they pretend that this didn't happen, you know, and so, um, and then they backtracked and said, well, um, they were accusing me of plagiarism, which, whoa, Ugh. like if you really, if you really unravel that, what these linguists do, non, these non-indigenous linguists, if you really want to talk about everything they've done is plagiarism, you know, because they've taken it from our people. They've taken it from databases. They've taken it from everywhere. You know, they can't create anything original. And so how can you accuse a Lakota person of plagiarizing their own language? Right. That they've already plagiarized, you know? And so what we're talking about is two different systems of looking at these things. And so within American laws, you have the copyright laws. And so we're talking about something different. We're talking about the birthrights of our indigenous people and our languages, you know? Lidzi at aya Gigoya Juan Stekat Yuhan. It's a difficult thing. Be brave. Have strength. We'll be right back, Yuhan. Once I thought about a million birds all around the world sharing their songs, thinking about the ways they have lived and they're gonna live. And this is the way Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX Anniversary Sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super-comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. 
Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Yeah, wow. Good cheese. Uh, thank you for sharing that. And I guess my first response is I'm very sorry to hear about your grandmother and also about the additional pain of not having access to things that she made. And, and so a lot of times I feel like our, our speakers and our elders are told like, this is work for the people. Yep. And so they, they go ahead with it and then to find out it's not accessible. And we've encountered things like this as well. Uh, in some ways where it's like, you just, that's my grandma. I, I want to listen to them. They're, they're gone now. And then to hear that that's not possible or to get some sort of bureaucratic methodology of saying, oh yeah, well, you just got to do th- these things or we'd love to, but these complicated systems, whatever the things are. And uh, I've got an email sitting in my inbox telling me I'm plagiarizing. And I've got another email <laughs> in my inbox saying, uh, someone else gonna threaten to tell everybody how terrible I am and all the mistakes I make, and they <laughs> they can't be quiet about it anymore, you know. And, and so I guess I guess I'll start with saying we had a couple of early linguists who came among us in the 1960s: Knott's uh, Claw, Jillian Story, and Sha Chukwa, Constance Nash. And I want to give them credit because as we talk about non-Indigenous people and linguists, I think there's some who set a really good example. So uh, one of the stories I heard about them is when they were doing work in the 1960s, like white people didn't learn our language. Like very, we have stories about the two or three people who ever did, who lived in our territory. And uh, these two, they learned it and they went to go talk to some speakers and they knocked on someone's door mm-hmm. and she opens the door and here's these two young uh, white ladies who start speaking Shinget to the to her so she slams the door on them because she thought they were ghosts you know and then Mm -hmm. as she starts to interact with them and talk with them uh they they did really really good work they harvested a lot of stuff they tried to figure things out Mm -hmm. and i was able to have a conversation with them on the phone uh gee probably 15 years ago and i said can i use the stuff that you did in your dictionary can i like make another dictionary someday and they said, Hey, that's your language. You, you do what you want with it. We just tried to help. And we, that's, doesn't belong to us at all. And I thought like, that's, that is your response. That is your responsibility. I think my hope, uh, and also there's another one, uh, Kuhan Guatan, Frederica de Laguna, who worked in Angoon and Yakutat. And then she did a lot of work. And when she, uh, she always had people there to translate and to retranslate and to do a lot of stuff to make sure that she was doing as much as she could. And then when she passed away, she made sure that all the stuff just went back to the communities as well as money. She, she sent money to go build a facility to store some of this stuff. 
But coming back to, I think my hope is that both uh, indigenous nations will will develop some policies and language, sort of if there's any sort of regional language office, uh, they'll develop some policies and practices. And as we sort of look to the future linguists who are going to be working with us, that they, they're trained to not be exploitative and to not see these things as something you can take. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, like, what I like to say is, come help, be a part of it, listen to what people need, try not to assume that you know what they need more than they do, and then also don't claim anything as your own. You mm-hmm. won't own anything. You don't have rights to these things. You can certainly interact, and you can be part of this atmosphere of use, but then, then there's going to be times where you're not going to be the one who, who gets to stand up and talk, and you're not going to be the one who gets to uh, say who gets to use it and who doesn't, because you don't have that authority. Mm-hmm. And so academia and and laws and stuff like they're they're these universal things but you can't operate free of systemic racism and so i think Mm -hmm. there has to be something in place as well maybe from the federal level that protects indigenous peoples because this type of exploitation it's not an isolated thing it's not like oh yeah this happened to the lakota and to the Shinget, but no one else right it happened all over (laughs) the place and it and it will continue to happen uh, because someone can make a buck and someone could get published and someone could uh, get their name out there. And, and then just weird things happen. There's, there's a lot on the line. There's a lot at stake. And we want to recognize people who do good work. But, at this, but if you start talking about who can do what with it, I think you're overstepping your bounds because you don't have that authority. You're not born into this. Mm-hmm. You're not, you don't have the lineage. And there's also... You just can't operate free of racism because I think it, it exists. A lot of things that I hear uh, smacks of superiority and then also exploitation. And so uh, I'm really thankful that you you shared that with us. Uh, I I hope the journey is just getting better and better and better in terms of how that kind of stuff goes. And I guess as we start to wrap up our conversation um what what keeps you inspired and what do you think will keep other people inspired? Well, so what keeps me inspired is just our kids. You know, I was talking to my, um, my Miso Dallas. I saw what they were, all they were doing at Thunder Valley yesterday. And he was talking about his boy and I don't want to say his boy, but his name, but he was talking about his boy, how he understands the language and he can get up in front of a whole group of people and pray. And he can sing a song without fear. He said, you know, he's, and I was looking at that, you know, how, how kind of, how kind of shy I am and different things like that. And we have children like that who are walking around without kind of the, the shackles, I guess, the mental shackles and different things, you know, um, my daughter correcting me in our language, you know, one time I, I was trying to tell her to get down and she was, she was like, dad, that's not right. <laughs> and then I was like, oh yeah, you're right. And she's like, you say it this way. And she corrected me. And that was one of the most beautiful experiences I've had. And so like, I, I, it was just a couple hours later, it hit me like, wow, did that even just talking about it now, it kind of makes me emotional, but like just that, you know, um, just seeing that all, all the stuff, all the language stuff that we, we go through and different things. And, and my daughter 
you know, she, she can, she still gets up and she prays in the language for, you know, over food and different things like that. And so that's, that's the stuff that, you know, inspires me to keep going. Um, and it's, 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 I was telling a friend, you know, or like, it's kind of corny, but language gives you life because it does, you know, it just, it feels good when you, when you're speaking your language, it feels good when you put on a recording and you can understand it. It feels good when your elders are speaking and they're joking and you, and you understand and you get it and you're not just fake laughing, you know, <laughs> oh, they're laughing. I'm going to bust out a laugh. It, it, it feels good. It's like, a, um, you know, it really helps. So I'm one who's had mental health problems, you know, and, uh, I'm in counseling and different things like that. And, and it really helps with my mental health. It, it does, you know, it makes me feel really good inside um and so it's it's kind of hard to put into words a lot of it you know um and just kind of like what you're saying i think about those like those um kind of those linguists i think a lot of what you said was in their reactions so when you ask and they say yeah no it's yours you're like hey we didn't know you know i that says a lot you know in someone's reactions instead of hey Nah, we're gonna make a press release about you. You're a bad person. Yes. You know, this, you know all that. So we have true allies, you know. And I just, I, I don't, I don't ever really say it, but you know, a good friend of mine, Elliot Bannister, their name is. They're an amazing ally. They stay humble, you know, and they and they just stay on the grind. And then another linguist we've had is Armick, who's at USD, and then he's at Virginia. But they they were humble. They they are humble, and they just you know they work like you said. Um, and so I don't want to give that you know I don't want to give that out there that I'm saying no 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 we can't have any anybody else you know because I I'm along the lines with you and that you know when we have true allies they can really assist us in what we do. Um, and so yeah, and I'm with you that like man, there's a gap between the arts and crafts act the indian arts and crafts act and then nagpra and we need a specific federal act in the vein of nagpra or one of these acts that specifically protects our indigenous languages that specifically protects intellectual property of our indigenous languages because everyone says well you can't copyright a language that's true but you can copyright the intellectual property of a language and so it, like what happened in the New Yorker, I was reading with the Penobscot is that an individual non Penobscot linguist went around making a dictionary. Um, their, their speakers had passed. And so he was the only one with the dictionary. So he came to own the intellectual property of that language oh, yeah. and there was no other dictionary. And so like, that's, you know, eventually he, his family gave it to the APS or somebody and they're working with giving it back to the Penobscot and it, and it's, and it, and it could end a little better than the direction that it could have taken. But for instances like that, tribes need to protect our intellectual property, you know? Um, and so I'm totally with you that we need those, you know, that we need those, um, we need acts and different things. And when linguists come understand, like, so I, I, I was reading an article and this linguist was saying how, she this non-indigenous linguist was saying how she wanted to go and help the people and and she was like she was there and she was she was planning on doing these translations and these books and these whatever but at the end of the day you know it was just using her privilege to babysit kids 
because they got it you know they had speakers they had classes and different things and so like non-indigenous linguists you know may come with a lot a lot of privilege you know um and so that's kind of a, a thing that i was thinking about whenever you were talking was that story of that that woman that thought i'm gonna do all this and i'm gonna do all that and then at the end of the day she, you know it was just kind of helping out with different stuff that didn't even really directly involve the language but it did you know and so I, I gotta find that article but that was that's what made me think of that yeah and so well i guess if people are making press releases saying you're bad then uh here's the press release <laughs> from this podcast ray taking a live is all right and stay out of his damn way <laughs> and uh if you're a lawmaker uh just put in a clause to something however you all make laws whatever magic you use uh that if if you are a if you're a linguist and you tell a Native American person that they're plagiarizing by using their own language in whatever way they want to, then you ask that goes straight to Alcatraz and you don't pass go, <laughs> don't collect your NSF grant or NEH grant or whatever grant you're trying to get. Is you lose your five hundred one three C? We take the C the status. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't put the colonizer in 501c3 <laughs> i like that i like that i'm gonna have to use that <laughs> don't plagiarize that from me <laughs> <laughs> oh that was another good uh, one. <laughs> awesome well it's been really good talking with you uh i wish you all the very best with your language work and that you know, I, I guess I'll just share one quick story. I was in Hawaii studying with those folks, and they said, you want to come to this graduation of the preschool, the language nest? I said, yeah, yeah, sounds good. So I go, and uh, I see this this big, it's a big thing. They all, they're all, there's a band. They all had their uniforms on, their school uniforms. And I was like, whoa, this is a big deal. And then uh, I saw this line of parents and their kids, their keiki, and uh, this friend of mine comes up to me and he says Kone. and i look at him and he's got big tears in his eyes and i thought uh oh because i already felt like i was gonna cry just watching these kids mm -hmm. graduate I was like, this is gonna be a wonderful day full of emotion mm -hmm. and he he looked at me and he just starts like he's got big tears in his eyes and he just says intergenerational transmission and then he just goes off crying and i was like yeah yeah i feel <laughs> you brother this that's what it is and he came back later after we ate. And, you know, I watch these kids, they get up and they, they make a speech in Hawaiian and one of their parents does. And that, and most people are crying and, and it's just tears of triumphant joy. Mm -hmm. And the friend of mine, he comes up to me, his name is Kyope. And he comes up to me later and he says, I'm very sorry. I cried in your face. He's like, what I was trying to tell you is I looked at this big line of parents and their babies and those parents were my babies when I was teaching Dang. and I thought, that's it. That's, that's what we're doing. That's what we're here for. That's what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, so best of luck with everything. Thanks for hanging out with us today and for sharing some of these things and making some good jokes at the end. <laughs> thanks. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the talk and um, everyone go and subscribe, follow uh, my friend here's work. And uh, again, thank you. Oh yeah. And where can people, find you follow you all that good stuff so uh i have a tiktok at reg charging um r-e-g-c-h-a-r-g-i-n-g -G -G. my twitter is 
at Ray Taken Alive. Um, yeah, check it out. Fabulous. All right. Good cheese. We'll talk to you later. That is gonna do it. Yeah, we and Shuatanayata. Jaguksa away, you hon. Nach to us a good let's see no way to yeti. Katlach to wash go a yukatangi aya. Where has to kuku aya. A two day has our tea. That's it, folks. That's the way this one's going to wrap up. Wherever you are, I hope strength is within you. Don't let people lock up your languages. Check out other podcasts on the Next Up Initiative, Partition, Black, Fat, Femme, and Beauty Translated. They are wonderful pieces. This has been produced by Daniel Goodman. This is The Tongue Unbroken. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.